Hey everyone, I'm Matt Housebarby. And I'm Jory Monroe. And this is Skill Up. Skill Up is a podcast sponsored by HubSpot Academy, all about the changing landscape of marketing, sales, and customer service. Growing internationally is an incredibly exciting move for your business. It can mean more revenue, more customers, and more growth. But I bet that if you were to walk over to your web team, they might not share the same level of excitement. That's because international SEO, well, it can be complicated. To make matters worse, there's a lot of bad advice out there. And I know you've heard me say this a few times on other episodes, but there really isn't one right way to do this. So it depends. That means you need to consider some pros and cons and choose the strategy that works best for your business. Today, we're going to walk through some of the questions you need to consider before expanding internationally, how you decide on the right URL structure, and how you start building authority. If you could start any business in the world, seriously, any business, what would it be? In this day and age, it has never been easier to start a business, but it's never been more difficult for that business to succeed. That's where HubSpot Academy can help. HubSpot Academy offers engaging and informative classes that can help you skill up so you can grow your business. Go to HubSpot.com slash skill up to check out trainings, certifications, community discussions, and much, much more. That's HubSpot.com slash skill up and start learning today. Hey, Jory. Hey, Matt. I'm pretty excited about what we're talking about today. International SEO can seem really overwhelming from the outside, so I'm excited to break it down a bit. I guess we should start with the basics. Why would a company want to even set up an international site? Well, I I think to begin with, if you're thinking about expanding as a business globally, reaching new customers, new markets, or even just catering for existing customers that maybe speak another language. This is the probably the number one way to reach them, right? Like mm-hmm. you having one single website that is in one single language pretty much limits you to the audience that you can reach. So expanding internationally not only could mean more revenue, but even just on a basic level, more eyeballs on your content. Definitely. And especially as we kind of live in such a global world, it's such an important piece to consider when you're kind of growing as a business. So Mm -hmm. how do you know really like when you're starting to expand like this, like which languages to target or what countries to start with? That's a good question. Uh, There there are so many factors that come into internationalization. And a lot of the time, if you have an existing site, which is usually the case, it's, it's rare that you would just go and expand internationally as your first like foray into having a website. But you actually have a lot of information out there already that you can tap into. So one of the first things I would do is go through, have a look on your website right now, um, and go into the analytics. Within something like Google Analytics, for example, what you have there already is a nice little tab under the audience tab. You can go in and have a little look at the different locations in which 
people are visiting your website from. This is like my number one starting point, right? So I would go in and say, okay, what are the top countries that are visiting our website? And if we have a huge proportion of people from uh, a website, a, a country that we don't have a website or a language-based site for, mm. that would say to me, we should probably consider at least evaluating whether it's viable for us to explore uh, building out a web property for this. On top of that, you can also have a little look at the languages that you can uh, have visitors coming through that they that they speak. This is typically um, determined by their web browser, which will be set to a certain language. So you can have a little split and say, okay, we can either look at the top languages that are spoken or have a look at the top countries and then the languages within those because... Obviously, people speak more than one language. Un mm-hmm. Well, unlike me. Uh, so <laughs> Most people are not Matt. <laughs> most people are not me. That is uh, a true stat. Uh, that is a fact. Uh, and then I think after that, it, it, you've got your like initial shortlist of, okay, this is what's happening right now. This seems to be the right starting point as opposed to, okay, we have zero traffic from Russia. Let's go just build a site and build it from the ground up. Maybe that's the case. Maybe there is like a real business demand for that. But it's not really, it wouldn't fill me with confidence that you're validating this is going to be able to be something that you could grow initially. Mm-hmm. Certainly if it's your first uh, entry point into international SEO. So the next piece on this for me is like, how do I justify whether we should go and either build a separate site or a separate section to our existing website to to go after these? And that's then where we would go in and say, okay, let's let's have a little look and figure out some search demand. There's a bunch of different tools you can use, but one thing that I often start with is like the basics is, okay, in, let's say, this region, this country, what search engines are they actually using? Mm-hmm. And what's the adoption of those search engines look like? For anyone that using Russia as an example, for example, the the Yandex is the number one search engine there. So even if you are getting a lot of traffic from Russia, you've also got to be prepared that there's a significant investment in understanding how the Yandex works, as well as Google, which is probably the second most used uh, search engine by quite a way off, actually. So there's a few things there. You've also, there's there's a really cool tool from Google that's uh, it's called Google Market Finder. If you just Google that, you'll obviously find it. And uh, what you can do within there is you can type in your website mm-hmm. and it'll Google will determine, okay, broadly, what is this website about? So if we typed in HubSpot.com, we may find stuff like uh, sales and marketing software, et cetera, et cetera. And what uh, Google Market Finder does is it shows you the top countries that have large amounts of search demand and mm-hmm. uh, general like interest of those topics broken down. So, for example, with with HubSpot.com, it says I'm just actually looking here, and it's like France and Australia being like the top two, and gives some rough search volume there. And and this is like your next starting point uh, where you'd go then deeper and say, all right, so we're thinking about France as a potential area that we're going to go into. Now we need to do much more detailed keyword research. And you'd use a keyword research tool to have a little look at some of the big topics you're going to be going after and say, okay, is there enough search volume for some of these topics that we want to potentially rank for in this uh, in this region to say, we have enough information, we have enough volume, enough demand that we could capture, that means this is 
financially viable for us to even go into this space. So it's it's really like piecework, right? Like you you start to kind of get a, a general sense and then build more of a, a data-driven strategy as you as you go to make this expansion and really determine if it's right for your business. So with this in mind, what are the different ways that you can split up a site as you're looking to kind of make this expansion? Yeah, there's there's typically two core ways that you can split this up. And then there's a third piece that we'll come into after that. But typically you would say, okay, we're either going to split this out by countries or we're going to split it out by languages. And there's a really important distinction between those two. And then the third piece is a combination of the two. Usually the first question is like, are we going country or language first? For different situations, different solutions will will work. Mm -hmm. But the main kinds of websites that you would really see just go language first. It's it's usually when like the location of your your customer doesn't really matter to the sales process. Uh, it doesn't really change a whole lot. You probably don't even necessarily have a local sales presence in the different countries that you're exploring from like a language level. And this is then when you'd say, okay, we're just going to dip our toe in, in the water of this stuff and we're just going to go for a language-based approach. It's probably the easiest entry point into international SEO. That said... Being the easiest doesn't mean it's the best. And even if it could be successful for your business, it may not be the right thing to do. The most important thing to remember is the decision you make initially is very hard to change in the long term. So and, choose wisely. Oh, yes. Yeah, because like it's one thing having a uh, a piece of content that you publish on your website and mm-hmm. deciding that isn't the right piece of content. Actually, we're going to take it down or change it. It's a whole other thing saying... This entire web property that we've built and all of the infrastructure behind it, we now need to get rid of it and we are going to lose like all of the investment that we made there. That's a really horrible decision to have to make. So one of the things that you want to think about is, okay, on the, the country level, if you were going to split by countries, an important thing to think about is, Google splits by countries, right? When you're on Google.fr, Google.ca, Google.es, that's Google Spain, that's Google Canada, that's Google France. They split by countries and as opposed to by languages. So it's the more aligned with that. The the thing I would say is if you're going to split by country, you would usually do it because like your sales process is directly impacted by the country of your customer. So that might mean like your your whole product offering is different from country to country. Your pricing is different. On the most like basic level, you think about Apple, right? Like their iPhone product has different pricing across different regions. And sometimes they have slightly nuanced product offerings. They also will have sales teams on the ground in each of the different countries that they're going after. And there'll be significant demand on a country by country level of people that want an iPhone and their different Apple products. Whereas if you are the New York Times, for example, right? Like, Yes, to a certain extent, the service that you offer is slightly different from country to country. But in all honesty, you're you're thinking more about what I want is more people to view the Wall Street Journal from an online perspective. 
And I just need to cater towards their language. So let's have some different language splits of this content because people that are Spanish-speaking, there's demand across every different Spanish-speaking country. So that's kind of where you get to that. And then this third and final piece, which we will come on to, which is like country and language split, is when you have enough demand on the country level where you say, okay, we've got so much demand and so much nuance to our product offering that actually we need to cater for, for example, French-speaking Canadians and English-speaking Canadians, et cetera, et cetera, right? There's that much demand. And this is usually very large e-commerce-based companies. Like one that comes to mind that I know does this is like Wayfair. Mm -hmm. Um, And and that's when things get more and more complicated. So to make sure that I'm like wrapping my head around this, because it's a little complicated, right? Um, (laughs) Just just a a little bit. Just a tad. So for country, kind of the biggest pro in that bucket is physical regional location of kind of the sales process. And then for, for language, like maybe, maybe less so, but kind of awareness or kind of sales process for that specific language. And then the combination is when there's both. Yeah, pretty much. And what you'll find though, with each of these different options as well, they also, have an impact on the things that you can actually do from a site structure and architecture point of view, which then have ramifications on how well you can rank in the search engines as well. So there's like, there's business logic that comes into this and then there's technical logic that comes into this as well. So it's almost like those those adventure books that I know when I was a kid used to be around where you can choose your own adventure, but like, unless you're a cheater, you can't really go back and like choose the correct one. So you want to like move forward strategically almost. Yeah. Choose your would, own adventure <laughs> SEO version. <laughs> the book coming soon. Uh, yeah, exactly. That is, that is a book I would love to be able to cheat in <laughs> uh, because I, there have been many adventures I have had in the past down those books and they've sometimes not turned out the way I've wanted them I've to. I've never survived one of those books. Let's be clear. <laughs> Okay, so to kind of get this back on track. So with this kind of option to split by site, to split by country, to do both, like what does this look like for your site's URL structure or domain? All right, this is the fun bit. (laughs) Let's go. The beastie is unearthed. (laughs) This is honestly probably the most complicated part of international SEO. And it's also the part where lots of people that may or may not have a lot of experience in SEO have the biggest opinions about. And one thing to really call out here is that international SEO is not something that a lot of people get exposure to. It's very specialist and you really have to have done it a few times to be able to get to the grips of it. And ultimately, do a bunch of things wrong, which I certainly have over the years mm-hmm. with international SEO, learn from them and figure out actually what's right and what's wrong. One just thing before I get into these different options that I will call out is if you ever hear statements around international SEO where people say like, uh, for example, subdirectories are the best approach for international SEO. It's rubbish. There, mm-hmm. There is no best approach for international SEO. It's completely driven by your context. And actually, some of the different options that you have depend on that first question that you need to ask. That actually is one of the things that people forget about and don't pay attention to a lot is, I see so many people trying to figure out their whole site structure, and I'll be like, all right, 
So tell me, first of all, what did you decide about languages and countries? And they're like, oh, well, we'll figure that out after. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, you can't do that. You need to figure that piece out first, and then you need to go into the second piece. And I'll tell you why, right? So there are three different buckets, let's say, of, of options that you can go after. And there's some combinations and variations within them, but three overarching options. The first one is CCTLDs. And what that means is like a country code top-level domain. For example, domain.es, domain.co.uk, domain.com. Now, this is the perfect example of where it's really important that you've already chosen whether you're going to go language or country. Because if you do CCTLDs, you cannot do language targeting because this is a country code top-level domain. And a lot of people don't realize that. They think, oh, uh, domain dot, like, FR, that's French. No, that's France. Right. So, and there is a distinction, by the way, in language and country. <laughs> and that's one thing that's really important. So you can't do that for language targeting. That's so, country only. So when you choose <clears throat> CCTLD, um, <laughs> just make sure I got the vocab right. You did. So you're like... You're checking that box. Like, I'm splitting for country, definitively. Well, yes, pretty much. Okay. There are more options for if you have a, if you're going country first. Okay. But uh, what the, the only thing that you just categorically cannot do is mm -hmm. go language targeting with a CCTLD. Okay. So then, the, so we've got CCTLDs, and okay. that's just a point I wanted to make around the, the targeting piece to begin with. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> then the next piece is subdirectories. So let's say we have domain.com forward slash ES. Now, that could be ES as in Spain. It could be ES as in Spanish. And you can do either language or country targeting with a, with a subdirectory. And then the third piece is subdomains, which would be like es.domain.com. So just to, just to recap there, we've got CCTLDs, domain.es, subdirectories, domain.com forward slash ES, and then subdomains, es.domain.com. What is the difference between kind of the CCT, LDs, and subdomains? So it sounded like, especially with the es.domain.com versus domain.es, like what's the difference there? Could you do the combination like by country or by language, or is that by country or language? Yeah, so for... For the subdomains, so like es.domain.com, mm -hmm. what you actually have there is you have domain.com is your, your core domain, right? Mm -hmm. like, and then you're using a, a subdomain, which is es. Mm -hmm. And you could have fr.en. Right. for mm -hmm. English, right? And you, you probably wouldn't have that necessarily, but you can have a whole host of different things just prior to the core domain okay. name, right? And that could be either languages or countries. Cool. And so then flexibility. The, exactly. And then cool. on the CCTLDs, you would have like .com or .fr, right. .es, et cetera. And they're only countries on the CCTLDs. Gotcha. So subdomains, you could do either. Subdirectories, you could do either. But CCTLDs are the ones that are country-specific exactly. always. Exactly. You got it. You cool. got it. See? I'm learning. <laughs> so, okay. <clears throat> 
This the one thing is this is I would argue one of the most complicated parts of of SEO as well. So for any of you listening out there, like don't be worried if you're thinking what the hell is Matt talking about. This is one of those episodes where you're probably going to listen to it two, three, four times, and then you, you will get it. Especially when you follow some of the examples we're going to come into a bit later. So on that note, nice. <laughs> Tee up. I'm going <laughs> to use an example to make this even clearer. So I'm really into spinning. When you hate spinach and you love Snickers, you got to do what you got to do. So let's say I have a site that sells spinning gear and provides tips and such. And now I want to make it available to the market in France. So I could buy jewelryspins.fr, but why would I buy a country code top level domain? over my other options. Okay. So there are a few different, well, there are a number of different factors that you want to f- kind of like think about with this case. So just to recap, you're you're thinking about entering the French market and you're thinking about having a CCTRD, so jurispins.fr. The factors I would consider in amongst this, and I'll go through each of them, would be as follows, right? So one of the first things is around like, geo-targeting like how strong is this specific architecture choice going to help me with saying to google and other search engines this is the country i am targeting and being a really strong like ranking signal the other thing is like how well does this harness the authority of our like main brand and domain that we have how does this work from like a UX conversion point of view? Because, you know, there's actually more to life than SEO. Uh, <laughs> you and, don't say. <laughs> what? Uh, and how easy is this to implement and maintain? Mm-hmm. Now, when you would actually, I would say with a CCTLD, one of the things is it's really strong on the geo-targeting side of things. Local CCTLDs are probably one of the strongest like local ranking signals you can have. If you have jurispins.fr, Google immediately knows that's for France. This content should be indexed within France, and there's actually very little that you would need to do to signal that. You could also have, for every new domain name that you have, because it's a whole new domain name, right? You probably right. have jurispins.com, jurispins.fr. You would set up individual like web hosting for that. Mm-hmm. You could have those web servers be located in France. So it's right. another, albeit small, like thing, but you you have the flexibility to do that with CCTLDs, which you actually don't with subdirectories, which we'll come into a little later. And you can then set up geo-targeting in Google Search Console, which is literally just a little tick box that says, please index this this whole domain's content in Google.fr. The downside that a lot of people cite with CCTLDs, and rightly so to an extent, is when you build a whole new domain, to a certain extent, you're starting from scratch in building the authority of that. Google ranks websites on like a page-by-page basis, but it also very much so on like a domain-by-domain basis. So there's got to be like a lot of internal linking happening from like your main.com domain and you can set up some other technical stuff which will come into like hreflang but by and large there's a lot more work that you need to do to build authority with like local links to that domain in all honesty you're going to have to do that regardless of the setting but straight out of the door you'll be a little bit more disadvantaged from the authority side of things 
I personally think from a UX and a conversion point of view, CCTRD is the strongest. If you're mm-hmm. in France and you want to feel like you are experiencing like customer service, a sales process that is like native to your country and it feels more like, okay, this is personalized to, to me, seeing juryspins.fr would be much stronger than having like a .com site. And certainly from like an overall architecture point of view, it makes things a little bit easier to set up. It's just cleaner, right? You start a whole <laughs> new website. You don't have to build into anything else. You just start from scratch and you can pretty much replicate the all of the existing structure of your main domain onto your, your new site. The implementation, the only thing like I would say is like you also need to, one thing people actually often forget is you need to own all of these CCTLD domains. You need to buy them. Actually, just as a general PSA here is, if you are currently not thinking about international SEO, but you think even remotely one day in the future, please buy up buy a bunch of your, yeah, buy up a bunch <laughs> of your domain names that are local domains and just hold on to them. This is like even just securing them from a brand point of view because someone could just buy them, spin something up, and think how you'd feel it if could that hurt. happened. Yeah, Again, it could definitely. So. There are some of the factors, and I think just to do a hit list of like when I would use CCTLDs, mm-hmm. bearing in mind all those things that I've just said. If you have a large audience in like that specific target country, so if you have an audience already or you know there is a massive audience to go after in France, I would really think about that. You have the resources to develop and maintain like multiple web properties as well. You need to set up hosting. You need to have someone maintaining the different, like the the content management system. You need to be able to build out content on both sites. It needs to stay up to date. Exactly. It's a new website. Yeah. You need the resources to run like local link building campaigns. We talked a bit about this as well. Like you want to boost the appearance of a local sales presence and also have like that brand presence in, in that region. And then on top of that, like you've probably got different product service offering and the the resources to actually develop content to cater towards those individual markets as well. That would be the main reason why I'd go after that. So I'm definitely going to be buying HubSpot.themoon. Oh, 100%. for the future. <laughs> I believe Elon Musk actually owns all of the moon. Uh, all domains. of them. All of them. He owns part of the moon, I believe. So head of the head of the pack. Well. Yeah. So I'm going to actually interrupt you before we go any further because we actually need to take a quick break. We'll be back with more about how to create an international site in a sec. Think about the last time you Googled something. Did you go past the first page to find your answer? Did you even scroll below the fold? I'm guessing you didn't click past the first few results. And maybe you didn't even click on a result at all. That's why it's more important than ever to have a solid SEO strategy. And HubSpot Academy can help. Go to HubSpot.com slash SkillUpSEO to tune into HubSpot Academy's SEO training course led by Matt Howells-Barbie, the host of this very podcast. Learn how to build a search strategy that will grow your business. That's HubSpot.com slash SkillUpSEO to start learning today. All right, we're back. Okay, before the break, we were talking about jewelry spins, and I realize I need to go buy this domain now. Let's say in this example, I don't want to go with a country domain, and instead I want to focus on my French language audience, wherever they may be located. What's the reason for using a subdomain structure for jewelryspins.com? So fr.jewelryspins.com. 
All right, subdomains. Uh, subdomains. <laughs> subdomains. Chapter two. Uh, we we really need like better budget to have sweet sound effects for some of these. Uh, we can, I'm still we can... waiting for the Bing sponsorship. It's yeah. fine. I'm still waiting for spinach. <laughs> Where's that at? So subdomains is a very different approach to CCTLDs, and we're talking about it in the context of French language instead of country. In all honesty, it would actually look the same uh, if you were doing French language or French country in this specific example, because you'd have FR as the country code France and FR for the language code for France. Now, that's not always the case. Mm -hmm. For example, you could have Portuguese would be PT, but then Brazil is BR, right? right? So in this respect, we've got fr.jurispins.com. Immediately, one of the things there to call out is that your your top level domain, your your CCTLD, if you like, is .com, mm -hmm. and you've probably got a lot of your English language content living on there. Maybe on www.juryspins.com or just on juryspins.com. Now you're adding a an fr dot subdomain. Now that means any content that lives on that subdomain. So let's say fr dot juryspins.com forward slash blog, right, is all going to be in French language. One of the things, like going back to some of the different factors, in all honesty, for languages, subdomains are, in my opinion, like a, an, an okay choice. For countries, I'm not a huge fan of using subdomains, just because there's not as strong, like, geo-targeting options there. I... I tend to often, my first choice goes to CCTLDs for, for countries. That said, there are a lot of situations when I wouldn't do that. And they're usually down to the fact that I don't have the resources to support them. Mm -hmm. I would say subdomains on a language split international site is of everything the easiest to kind of just implement, to be honest, because you're going to probably just clone the website and have it live on an individual subdomain. You actually can add individual hosting for web hosting, that is, for each different subdomain you have. So you could technically do French web servers that host your FR dot juryspins.com domain and then mm -hmm. for the www dot version something different yeah you could have it in the US that's only a small factor but like you can do that the one benefit is like everything lives on the main dot com domain so it does mean that internal linking is a lot easier there are arguments to be said that the authority held within that dot com domain from all the links that it's got will will pass over into the subdomain but I mean in all honesty like you need links from French language speaking websites and ideally French websites overall to help boost your your rankings there anyway but it's a it's a little bit easier from an authority point of view from CCTLDs now from a UX and a conversion point of view it's not ideal but if you're doing a language split I would imagine that you may not necessarily be as focused on like making sales you still might be though, right? It may just be, for example, you have a product that doesn't change by country, but you just want to make it easier for people to understand. Mm -hmm. So there's that element. So there's pros and cons. There, oh yeah, there are lots of lots of pros and cons. I, I would say what I would use subdomains is 
you don't really have the resources or ability to acquire and manage a load of individual CCTLDs if you're going country split. Mm -hmm. And if you aren't able for mainly for tech reasons to go with subdirectories, I would usually choose a subdirectory over a subdomain, but a lot of different platforms, whether they're like analytics, marketing automation, CMSs, don't often play well with adding language content. And honestly, the implementation onto a subdirectory can be a real pain in the ass from right. an international point of view. So usually it's like ease of tech that you go with subdomains. So <laughs> it's kind of the, the, the ground in the middle of... It's definitely. Like if I had to say, okay, ease of implementation, mm -hmm. I would have... CCTLDs, because you just straight up clone the website and add mm -hmm. it on a whole brand new domain. New website, like the lot. It's so clean and it's nice and easy to use. All the URL structures can remain the same. Then you have subdomains and it's like a little bit better because depending on like what CMS you use, you could clone that onto the subdomain, but you would still have like slightly different URL structure. And mm -hmm. it gets complicated if you were already using subdomains, right? right? Let's imagine you hosted your blog on blog.jorispins.com. Mm -hmm. What do you do there? Like right. this is where you can you could go down the level of like sub subdomains. Like I don't even want to get into that. It's a horrible that gets messy. choice to do. Right. Again, and, best practice, don't do that. Yeah. And if you're already <laughs> using subdomains for other reasons, like it becomes very difficult to do that and you almost can't go down that route. So yeah. that's the other challenge that happens here. And with subdirectories, you do not get the benefit of just being able to clone the CMS. Like you have to build usually on the existing CMS and add whole sections to it, hack it around a lot, and oh, it's it's painful. It like it can be done, and a lot of companies do it, but it, it can be a painful thing to manage. So that makes a lot of sense, and something that we are we're already starting to touch on, but I want to like dive into um, a little bit more is that is this like issue of subdirectories. So yeah. what is the reasoning for subdirectories? What would that look like? Give me the very long did read of that. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> the very long did read. Yeah, that's going to be the story of this episode. I think. Okay. <clears throat> so subdirectories. So many times I see people citing subdirectories as like the best international SEO solution, and actually a lot of the time I disagree, even in the context that the person is saying. But also like as as we've talked before uh, about this, like. You shouldn't think in absolutes when it comes to international SEO. Only Siths deal in absolutes. There we go. Teed you up Star, for the Star Wars, Wars reference. Got there it. we go. Nailed it. Point one nil. Always have to have a pop culture <coughs> reference. Sorry, guys. <laughs> and yeah, uh, like Siths, SEOs shouldn't ever think that way. So the reason behind this is usually that people will say, well, subdirectories are the best option for maintaining authority. And that's that's largely correct. So if you have juryspins.com forward slash FR, you have a single domain, lives on the same subdomain, like it's all housed within there. All of the, the links have gone into that individual domain. You've built up the authority over time and it's just like if you are adding a new blog post onto it, right? But you're mm. adding a new URL that lives in, for example, forward slash FR forward slash blog, right? Mm -hmm. What you can do... With, with that is harness all of that authority a lot easier. Now, that's a benefit of subdirectories. There are a lot of 
disadvantages of having subdirectories in play. One that I talked about is the implementation. Anyone that goes down the route of implementing an international structure, whether that be through a language base or a country base structure via subdirectories, I pity you because you are going to come out a broken person. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, it is painful. Why so? It's just really, uh, it's not that there isn't many content management systems that are set up to do this. There are ways that you can hack around it, and there are certainly some platforms that are better than others. Analytics becomes a lot more confused. Mm. Uh, there's just so many things that you have to set up and things that can go wrong, in all honesty, especially when you're mapping out things like redirects and all of the joys that come with it. It's just less clean, right? Mm. Because you're building in the same place that you already have like English content where you're mm. also going to be building French content. The The same, you will usually have the same content management system, the place where you would go and publish a blog post, you may have the option to publish that in English or French in the same place. It's not mm. always the case, but it usually is. You just think about the human error that can happen here. Whereas when you literally have a whole new login to a whole new domain, and similarly, you would have that for a subdomain, like it becomes a lot less accident prone. That said, like, like with any of these, pros and cons, mm. and you, you can absolutely do this correct. The main thing that I would say, though, is with a subdirectory, there are no geo-targeting and like ranking signals that you, you get from this. The only thing you can do is you can say in Search Console to Google, anything that lives within the subdirectory should be indexed within Google.fr, for example. But where we talked about saying, okay, you could set up individual like web hosting to your subdomain that's fr.jurispins.com. You can't do that for a, a subdirectory. You can't have individual like local IP web hosting for a subdirectory. Your servers are your servers. <clears throat> exactly. And so you can't do that. And of course, you're just on the main .com or whatever your main like uh, CCTLD is. And so it's, it's very difficult to really, the biggest challenge is being able to say to Google, hey, all right, we're authoritative, but we're authoritative in France or mm -hmm. Spain. And that's where you need to get a lot of backlinks from French websites or Spanish websites or whatever you're targeting into that section of the site to build authority. And that's kind of where then I almost think like the argument around authority is sometimes quite flawed because again, we've said this in the, the last episode, like context is everything within right. SEO. So I think like one of the reasons why I would use subdirectories or uh, maybe two or three reasons. Like if you don't have the resources to build and maintain individual sites. Right. Like, it seems like a kind of like a quick win version. Yeah. Certainly if you can manage the tech side and you found a solution, like you can just go and spin that up. Like you don't have the resources to do huge local link building. You need to kind of harness as much out of the box authority, if you like, as possible. Your product service doesn't differ that much by region. That'd probably be another one. And ultimately, you want to keep costs low. You don't need new hosting packages. You don't need new CCTLDs to purchase. You don't need like a big web team infrastructure to handle all this. So it's a bit cheaper. Will it be cheaper in the long term? I don't know. But certainly, just from a resource point of view, it is in the short, medium term. So potentially cheaper, but more of a beastie to manage down the line. Yes. So you can do a combination of all of these, right? Oh, yes. This is oh, when the hesitated. real fun begins. <laughs> okay. The fun begins here. And this is when we get into 
country and language split. So some different examples here, right? So if let's let's think about this. We want to have a Canadian version of our website that, okay. that completely caters to Canada. But we find after a little while, you know, we actually have tons of French-speaking Canadians mm -hmm. and we have a ton of English-speaking Canadians. We want to cater for both, but we also have a French website and we have French-speaking French people and we have English-speaking French people. And maybe there are some other languages in there as well, so just keep it simple for now. We don't want to just like choose one language for Canada. We want to have both. So what we need is a French-speaking Canadian site and an English-speaking Canadian site. So how do we do that? I have no idea. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> Walk me through that. And th this is where it's like, okay, now it's like pick and mix time. So right. you've got usually in this in this setting, I I really, really like starting with CCTLDs. You're okay. going to start like country first, okay? So this is where maybe we'd say, okay, let's buy juryspins.ca okay. for Canada. For Canada. And then we've got two options. The language piece is either going to be done with a subdomain or a subdirectory. So let's say we want French-speaking Canadians. We could have fr.jewelryspins.ca, yeah, yeah. and that okay. would be French-speaking Canada. We could also do subdirectory instead, which would be juryspins.ca forward slash fr. Right. Got it. Now, there are other ways that like websites do. So an, an example of, of a website that would do that, you've got the Wayfair website. They have okay. wayfair.ca forward slash fr, right? That's like one version. So subdirectory and cctld. Exactly. Boom. Knowledge. Exactly. And then if you look at the Airbnb website, you have mm -hmm. fr.airbnb.ca, subdomain plus cctld. It's like speaking a new language. Right. And this is, it does get a bit complicated, but playing around, just having a mm -hmm. look on like Wayfair and Airbnb, you'll see those examples. Those patterns. But there's also other ways, right? Like what happens if you don't, go down the lines of we we want to have individual CCTLDs. Mm -hmm. What happens if we wanted to have a subdirectory manage both the of these? Oh. Ooh. So, right? So imagine you're Microsoft.com and apparently you just want a horrible structure to your site that's difficult to maintain. There goes our sponsorship. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, things out. Uh, <clears throat> no, I say it's horrible like this works for them. and it's, They manage. It, to, to call back a previous idiom, it is truly horses for courses. Uh, so what Microsoft have for their Portuguese-speaking Brazilian site is Microsoft.com forward slash PT. Portugal, uh, Portuguese, mm -hmm. dash BR, Brazil. And that's all in one single subdirectory. You could do the exact same for the subdomain, right? Like, for example, myprotein.com. They mm -hmm. have fr-ca.myprotein.com doing language and country all in the same either subdomain for myprotein.com or subdirectory in microsoft.com. This is like a giant 
enormous, horrible problem. <laughs> never ending Maybe pattern not of choice. Okay, yeah. But yeah, there's no, a bunch of combinations you it, could choose. There, there really is. And mixing and matching is like uh, the horrible, horrible choice. Honestly, there are my, a lot of languages in a lot of countries out the, there. There really are. I, I would say, unless you are a very, you have a huge addressable market, you have a huge team, huge resources, and the ability to go after with a big marketing budget, these different regions, mm -hmm. I wouldn't explore going down the country and language to begin with. Yeah, you would just, just to manage it all and keep it just straight. Exactly. I mean, think about the different brands that I just mentioned, mm -hmm. right? MyProtein.com being one of the smallest, but still being a huge company in terms of yeah. online sales. Microsoft, Airbnb, Massive. Yep. right? Like they're all, mm -hmm. and Wayfair, right? They have resources huge, to do this. Huge companies doing this. The best thing to do is start off simple, mm -hmm. language or country, and figure that out. But at the same time, right, like if you are thinking enormous and you're myprotein.com, if you said, okay, in some respects, if you're looking at, for example, the Wayfair website, Wayfair mm -hmm. could have started by just saying, let's just start by doing country only. Mm -hmm. We'll do wayfair.ca for Canada. At a later date, we might explore languages. And at a later date, they could add forward slash FR. That's fine, mm -hmm. right? And same with Airbnb. They did airbnb.ca. Maybe at a later date, they'll do their subdomains and they'll start doing French language, fr.airbnb.com. If you have Microsoft, though, like, what do you do? You can't just do microsoft.com forward slash BR mm -hmm. and then change it at a later date to Microsoft forward slash pt dash br because you're actually just rewriting the entire subdirectory. So this is then when it gets more and more and more and more complicated. And mm -hmm. this is why I said at the start, making the right choice from the beginning is the most important thing here. Doing your research. Look what other sites are doing that are relative to your own situation mm -hmm. and seeing how they're performing, seeing, learning from their mistakes, Go speak to some of their teams, right? Like a lot of these are approachable and see what they've found to work, what they haven't. Some of the biggest kind of like companies in the world, for example, like Apple, right? They just split by country. They don't do language as well. They have apple.com and they do it all actually in subdirectories. Apple.com forward slash FR, apple.com forward slash ES, apple.com forward slash UK. Like all of this is done that way. And some would argue maybe that's not the right way. Maybe mm -hmm. there's a better way, but as we've talked about, pro every different it. ones, they, yeah. they have pro and cons. Definitely. So let's talk specifics then. What do you need to actually set up an international site specifically? Yeah, so there's, there's, there's a few things that we can, that, that I would say as like individual hit lists. But once you've implemented, migrated all the content, you've got to the position where you have everything set up, you've chose your structure, you've maybe decided, okay, I'm going to go with CCTLDs and we're, we're just going to build whole new sites for each of these five countries that we're going to start with and we're going to add as we go. Mm -hmm. The next thing that you're going to need to set up and it's one of the most important things to begin with is the href lang tag. And that sounds complicated. Yeah, it has an unnecessarily complicated name, but it makes me sound more intelligent when I say it. <laughs> so I like it. So the have you heard about the href lang tag? Oh today? yes, href lang. Uh, so it helps that you're British. <laughs> so the href lang tag is needs to be set up no matter which architecture choice you go with. And what this is is if you've ever heard of the canonical tag, it's similar to this. But what it is is a line of a few lines of code that you set up on 
every version of your web page to tell Google what the other either country or language version of that page is. So if you have, let's say we have juryspins.com forward slash services, right? And it's your mm-hmm. page that talks about all your services. But then you have juryspins.fr forward slash services, juryspins.es forward slash services. On the .com forward slash services page, there, you would have href lang tags set up to say to Google, the French version of this page is on juryspins.fr forward slash services, and the Spanish version is juryspins.es forward slash services. And you have that on every version of the page. And you also tell Google the default page is the .com. So you have a little default X tag, it's called. It's very easy to mess this up. You can also implement this not just in on the page itself, but also in your sitemap. There's a bunch of good guides, which we can maybe link to in the show notes as well for some of this. But hreflang is a very important part of doing this. And that's like one piece. The... Other like few little things that I would just say is like setting up geotargeting within Google Search Console, Bing, yes, Bing, Webmaster Tools, and any other like relevant search engines, Yandex, Baidu, like all of these ones. If you can have country level web hosting, so you get an IP address from that country. Again, you can't do that for subdirectories. And there's also a, a little thing that you can push in via a HTTP header called the content language. This is just something that you'd want your web developer to do, that sh- they should understand what this means by basically pushing in a, a header into the page that says to the search engines, this is the language that this page is about. Relatively kind of simple stuff. And then like other things that you just want to kind of think about is like localization. Localization is more than just using Google Translate. It's determining (laughs) what you actually want to localize and localizing not only the language, but the context and the examples using. Localizing URLs as well is a really good thing to do. So having your URL written in French and having Mm -hmm. your URLs written in Spanish, I would always advocate doing that wherever you can making sure you localize title tags, metadata, any of the social snippet, markup code. And then the final thing on top of that, on all the technical stuff, is link building. Mm -hmm. And this is something that we'll be talking more about in this series, and we have touched on already so far. But getting backlinks from websites within the language and the country that you are targeting to to rank within. These are very, very important things that are probably the most important of everything. Um, The final thing I would just say, just as a little reminder, Mm -hmm. is setting up new properties and views within Google Analytics for the new version. If you have any retargeting pixels for uh, your ad products, like make sure you transfer those over to the new site. And if you use any email marketing, marketing automation, hint, hint, HubSpot, uh, (laughs) uh, make sure that you are setting up individual workflows, things like that for all of these different versions of the site. So it seems to be like there, there are a lot of moving pieces to do this correctly, right? And you know, if you're if you're just kind of the strategist or the person that's trying to manage that all, it might seem like a lot. And the, and once you get kind of like developers and designers involved, there might be things that aren't even the most transparent to you. Um, so, how do you know when this is actually working? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. One thing I would say is there is a bit of patience that needs to be had. <clears throat> Google Search Console is 
has got much, much better. Okay. And what they what they do a good job of is telling you when the pages are indexed and if they're indexed within certain versions of the search engine. Over the first kind of month or two, what you just want to do is keep a track on whether Google has indexed all the pages, if they're showing in the correct version of the search engines, keeping a track on analytics. Treat this as if you've launched a brand new website. All the same things apply. Then, as it becomes more and more mature, again, you, you need to treat this as if it's like a whole new, brand new business. Be patient with it. Don't have knee-jerk reactions if after three months you're not seeing unbelievable results and now you're going to move from CCTLDs to subdirectories or subdomains. Like, Stick with it. Try and make it work and try and figure out, okay, if things aren't working right, is this... Is this because we've messed something up on the site or is it actually just we need to build more authority, we need to build more of a presence and we need to build out more content? And we need more time, yeah. So before we go, do you have any tips for people that are trying to build authority once they have their international site architecture set up? Yes, I would say the the emphasis here is on context, localization, building relationships with local publications, local influencers, running local brand-driven campaigns. Everything should be localized. Like if you are trying to rank within France, the the power of a link from a French website is like 10 times that of a link from a .com site because it's such a localized ranking signal that you're, you're pushing to, to Google. Spend time, ideally have people that are like French speaking to begin mm-hmm. with that are helping working on some of these campaigns. If you don't want to like commit to like hiring people to do a lot of this stuff, work with local French agencies, PR firms, things like that to get this up and running and really embed yourself into the space that you're going after. And more than anything, and this goes for the whole of international SEO, don't like make this decision lightly. You either go all in or you don't go in at all. There's no real midway point with with internationalization. So you need to build relationships with the region before you can really expect to build like relationships with the potential customers, right? 100%. So this has been like really helpful and I've definitely learned a lot. I'm off to like go buy jorryspins.com before someone else does because apparently the moon is taken. <laughs> so thanks, Matt, for everything, really. Of course. And uh, honestly, good luck to <laughs> anyone out there expanding internationally. And I do mean good that in luck. the most sincerest of ways. <laughs> you had this little chuckle, so we'll see. Um <laughs> Absolutely. So thanks for listening to today's lessons. If you liked it, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and tell your favorite SEO nerd about us because plenty of nerdage going at ya. We're also on Twitter at HubSpot Academy where you can send us the SEO-related questions that are keeping you up at night. See you in just a few seconds when you press play on our very next episode. If you're listening to this show, you've already taken the first step in growing your career. But I have really good news. You can go even further for free. HubSpot Academy is a worldwide leader in marketing and sales education, and they offer free classes on topics like social media, SEO, content marketing, and more. There's no catch, just expert advice that can take your career to the next level. Go to HubSpot.com skillup to get started today and build your business better.